I want to make one announcement. Uh, it is not, I'm going, to, I'm going to use some vernacular that you often use. I usually talk, to, talk about myself not as a shepherd, but more of a sheepdog. Um, I run around, I bark, I make a lot of noise, try to keep the sheep following after the shepherd. Um, but it is kind of a, 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 a title that's often given to pastors, is, is shepherd. Um, and the, here's the thing, and I know you know this, but you're not always thinking about it. It's the shepherd's job to tend to the sheep. It's not the sheep's job to take care of the shepherd, right? I mean, that would be weird if the sheep are trying to run off a wolf so that the shepherd's okay. That would just be strange. Um, but it is the job of the leadership of this church to care for their shepherds. Um, so the elders, the exec team, the, the whole of the consistory, it is the job of them to take care of or to tend to the shepherds of the flock. Pastor Kurt has been here serving this church for 22 years. And Doug was like, where's he going? And then I said, Kurt, 22 years. He goes, oh, I know what he's going to say. Um, uh, when he got here, he had one, uh, when he started here, actually, I, I don't know if he had any children, or he had one, Luke was just a little guy when he started working here. Um, actually, Kurt was a student of mine in, when he was in seminary, I got to be a professor for his final year, his last, it's called the credo, it's an I believe statement. All the things that he's learned in seminary, he had to articulate in a 35-page paper, and I got to read it and judge it. It's kind of fun. Um, that was before I, before I worked here. But anyway, uh, to, I can make a long story and try to make this so that you all see the reasons behind it. But I just want to let you know that the, that the consistory of this church for, since 2014 has been dealing with, struggling with, deciding on, and, and debating whether or not a sabbatical is something that we want to offer our pastors. And you've heard from me over the years. I had a sabbatical in 2009. It was glorious. It was difficult. Uh, there were more than once that I was, uh, what was like, I'm so bored. My brother-in-law was actually on the kitchen floor almost crying and saying to his wife, I'm so bored. And she's like, you get up. I got to go to work every day. Um, the purpose of a sabbatical is renewal and to find out in part do you still love and know the Lord, or are you only doing those things in order to care for the people that offer you a paycheck? And you guys know that Pastor Kurt has had um, some heart issues, some health issues. Um, so our, our consistory has very graciously decided to offer Pastor Kurt a sabbatical. He will be off campus and out of touch for three months, March, April, and most of May this year, and I'm celebrating this for Kurt. I know it sounds a little weird, like, I'd like to have three months off. It's not, it's not three months off. It's three months without your regular duties, but the shepherd has to remind himself that, that he's still the under-shepherd. He's still the one who is first accountable to God, and the, the, the vertical relationship between him and the Lord needs to be solid. I'm not saying in any way, communicating in any way that Kurt is struggling with his faith in Jesus. That's not the case. But I can tell you that one of the things that, um, that went through my head before I took sabbatical was that I don't know if I even know who I am or like me if I'm not a pastor at Heart of White Christian Reformed Church. That's where I was at the time. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled that not only our denomination that holds this in, uh, up high, but that our consistory has decided that this is something that we want to offer 
Kurt Henry this year. So we will cover what Kurt does uh, with other staff, and we will contract with people if we need to. Um, Kurt's not going to faraway lands and that kind of thing. He'll probably take a couple of trips here and there. He'll spend some time with his wife, but he'll spend a lot of time uh, in a prayer cabin, just him and God alone together for a while so they can talk. So I would ask you this as his, uh, as his congregation, that you pray for him uh, as he prepares for it because he's scared to death, um, that you encourage him as he pursues that, and while he's on Sabbath, that you ask God to meet him there, you ask God to renew him there, and that you ask God, if necessary, to convict him there so that when he comes back, he is not only the same Kurt we've always known, but Kurt Henry, man of God, who is renewed in his faith and wants all the more to care for God's people. So I'll leave, leave that as kind of the intro. Today we're starting a, a, a sermon series on the gospel according to John. We're going to read a very familiar passage, which Doug just stole part of. Um, and uh, so let me pray, and we'll get, we'll get right to this. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are and for how you reveal yourself to us, that you use ordinary men to communicate extraordinary truths. What John is able to do in 34 voices or verses in the first chapter of John just blows me away. And Lord, you know that in the time allotment, there's not, I have no ability to make it, to make every, every little verse, every jot and tittle of this unbelievably clear, but I do ask that you communicate to us today, that you remind us whose we are by reminding us who you are, and help us see that you're not a God that stands aside. You're a God who moves in next door. Join us. Give us eyes to see it, ears to hear it, and hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 34. Normally, when you start a, a series on John, you do 1 through 14 or 1 through 15. Um, we're going to go all, in, all the way into part of the mission of why the word Jesus was sent. Now, just a little background. This, in, if you've been in the church for a long time, you know this. But if you're, if you're relatively new, if you're joining us online for the first time, this idea that uh, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. So the easiest way to understand that is how do you and I communicate with one another? Sometimes by micro-expressions, sometimes by, by, you know, if you have a spouse, there are things, much can be communicated just in a, in a look, right? Like if I'm being too boisterous, I'm cogitating too much, which is that boisterous laughter, or if I'm uh, uh, in a social setting and I'm the one talking all the time, my wife will kind of go, okay? That means, Trent, let other people talk, okay? So, but most of the time, the way we think, the way we communicate, whether in written or spoken is with words. Ideas are communicated with words. So if the easiest way to understand what, what John is saying when he's using this, this word, word, logos in, in, uh, in Greek, is that the way in which God has created, the way in which God communicates, the way in which uh, we understand God is through his word. Here's the thing. His word is not just things that are written, his word is the second person of the Trinity. The way he communicates all things, the way he does, uh, the way he created was through the spoken word, which is the Son of God. It's a strange concept. Um, and 
more than that, there was this thing in the, in the Hellenistic world, so the Greco-Roman Empire, um, it became very uh, Hellenized. Um, and the philosophers had this idea of logos, that it's, it's that God force, so to speak. And uh, it's, how, it's, it's how we know, it's, it's what creates all things, it's what sustains all things. Uh, they had this, this concept, and John takes that concept and the Jewish understanding of who the Messiah is, but they didn't really think necessarily know he would be divine, and he puts them together to communicate the truth of who the second person of the Trinity, who became incarnate, who took on flesh, Jesus, and he calls him the Logos, not just the Logos of God, he's God is the Logos, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you where that shows up here in just a couple of verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. And just so you know, Greek, the, the, the order, that, and I think they translated this right. I'm not, I'm not thinking that I'm higher than them, but the order, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word is how it's actually written in Greek. So in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God, and God was Jesus, and Jesus was God, and he, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man, he switches gears here, there came a man who was sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to do that which was his, or he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a moment. So some themes that you will see in John, light and darkness. In fact, as you read it, when you get to say the story of Nicodemus, notice when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He comes in the darkness, and Jesus offers him the opportunity to come into the light, which he refuses. But it's just, there's these themes of, of light and darkness these themes of, of the, glor the glory of God shown through the glorification of Jesus. And most of the time when we think about glory, it's what you accomplish and the accolades that you receive. But John, this whole book from that verse forward points to God's glory is shown through the crucifixion of the sacrificial lamb that we know as Jesus the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh. That God's glory is shown through his willingness to sacrifice. And you'll see John the baptizer kind of expand on that just in the last verse we're going to read. Some other themes that you will see, um, John switches the order of things. The first half of John is basically Jesus um, going to his own, to the Jews. And you'll see these miraculous signs. He doesn't, call, he doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs. And there's seven of them. 
You'll also see a theme, or you'll hear a repetition. Jesus says, ego a me, several times in the book of John, and that, that is, I am. So you don't say, before Abraham and Isaac, I am, unless you're claiming to be God. So you, there is no, the Gospel of Mark, you're curious, what is, okay, Jesus is the spiritual Rambo in the Gospel of Mark, nothing, nothing, nothing will put him aside, nothing can overcome him, but, but there's this curiosity, who is he? Who is he really? In the Gospel of John, it starts right off, Jesus is God made flesh. Jesus is God. God is the Son. He's also the Father, he's also the Spirit, but God is the Son, and the Son has now moved in next door, tabernacled among us. So to, 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 to read John with eyes open is to look for light and darkness, look for the ego, a me, the I am, the way, the truth, the life, um, to look for the signs and to see the transition from Jesus talking to and evangelizing his own, the Jews, the transition to him offering himself, and the truth that is the gospel of Jesus Christ to the known world, not just the people who consider themselves God's own. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, there is, uh, this is he of whom I said, he, comes, uh, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, we know he's not talking about that chronological years on earth because John was actually born before Jesus. So he's testifying right there that Jesus is everlasting. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now, this was, this was John's testimony. When, when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, John the baptizer, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? I'm not. A prophet? No. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of of one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent to question him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor a prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where, where, where John was baptizing. The next day, after these questions, after this him testifying again to who Jesus, the coming one was, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me uh, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, talking about remaining on Jesus. I would not have known him except that the one sent the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain 
is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now, there's a lot. There's a lot there. But the mission of John is to prepare the way for the incarnate deity, Jesus. And what does he say when he sees him the first time? When he recognizes who he is. Now, he, they were cousins. He, I'm sure he had seen him uh, in family gatherings or whatever throughout his life. But, but there, I mean, Pastor Doug during Advent even brought up this time when John wasn't even, did I get the wrong, did I get the right guy? You know, he had some doubts when he was in prison. But when it was confirmed in John, it was when he saw the spirit, the ruach, the, the, the spirit of God hover over Jesus and remain there. But what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who will take the sins away from people. I'm paraphrasing. We can become so accustomed to knowing this story, even this, these verses, that we can forget or lose the connection to the fact that God loved us so dearly that in order to show us his glory, he became one of us. I'm going to give you an example. I did this in 2020. Um, last time we were in March, or in, 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 in John, and uh, I mean, this was weeks before COVID kicked in. So Joseph Damien was a 19th century missionary who ministered to people with leprosy on the uh, leprosy is modern-day Hansen's disease. That's what we call it now. Um, on the island of Molokai in Hawaii. Those suffering grew to love him, and they revered his sacrificial life as he loved and lived out his faith among them. One morning when Damien was, uh, was to lead daily worship, he was pouring hot water into a cup when some of the water swirled out of the cup and landed on his foot. And it took him a moment to realize that he didn't feel it. So he took some more water and he poured it on the same spot on his foot and he didn't feel it. And I don't know if you know how leprosy works, but the ends of your nerves, like especially at the extremities, they start to die off. And so you stop feeling pain is the first, one of the first things. And that's why people end up losing tips of fingers or tips of, tips of toes and ears and nose. It's, you'll scratch it too hard and it'll, 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 it'll bleed and then it'll get infected, but you don't tend to it because you don't have a sensation of pain. And so he realized at that moment that he was now one of them. When he went to the daily worship and he opened the service, people didn't recognize it right away because he always started his sermon with my fellow believers, but this time he started it with my fellow lepers. He became one of them. How much more is it true that the God of the universe how much greater of a sacrifice? Yes, for this man to end up losing digits, phalanges, and probably die of this disease as he's ministering to people, as he's shepherding his flock, that's a big deal. And it's selfless. But how much bigger of a deal is it for the God of the universe to decide that we are so dear to him that in order for us to know him, he had to take on the nature of a servant, that he had to put on flesh, that he had to go from being omnipresent to being in one spot, that he had to go from being omnipotent to being powerless as a baby, and that he had to, be, he had to go from, from, from all-knowing, omniscient, 
to having one thought at a time in time and space. It's a big deal. And sometimes this language of, of uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the begin, in the beginning, it gets, a little, it gets a little tough. So I just want to put it in modern-day vernacular. Um, it doesn't get all the nuances. It doesn't. I get it. Um, but it, it gives us, the, the thing that we talk about in our culture is truth. My truth, your truth, there is no real truth. Uh, truth is, is, is relative. You know, that, that is the ph- philosophical understanding of our day. Is we talk about truth. So before everything, the heavens, the earth, time, space, everything, there was the truth. In that, before all things time, time, the truth was with God. In fact, the truth was God. And God was the truth. The truth was with God before everything existed. Through him, this truth, everything that is became. Even though it wasn't there before, nothing that is, nothing that was made, not one thing came into being without him, the truth. In the truth was life. And the life was the light to live by. This light life blazed in the darkness. We all know what, happened, what happens to darkness when light shines. Darkness flees and doesn't understand or overcome the light. The truth came into the world, and even though the world was created by the truth, the world didn't even notice. The truth came to his own people, to the world he created, but most of his own people didn't want him around. However, to the people who did believe in the truth... To those who understood who he really was, the truth, he changed their eternal address. He made them sons and daughters of God, not like children born of a mother, not the apple of some daddy's eye, but born in a new way, reborn as God's own. The truth became everything that humanity is, flesh, blood, spirit, mind, all of it. And he moved in next door to each of us. We've seen it. His glory, the glory that is like nothing else, like father, like son, the truth is real and will continue to be generous beyond measure as he gives light and life. Now, there are about a thousand more things that I could say about this passage. I've studied John probably more than any other gospel. Um, My sophomore year of college, I took a class called Johannine Lit. So I studied the gospel according to John, 1, 2, and 3 John, and the book of Revelation. And then later, as a senior seminary class, I delved into the book of John. And then when you're in seminary, you have to, you have to study the gospels. When we started learning Greek, the way we started learning Greek in 1991 was translating the book of John. So I have spent years in one way or another, in, and, and I preached on this book as many times as any other book in the scriptures. And that is not for me to say, I know more than you. That is not what, it is just something I love deeply. And we could spend, in fact, one of our pastors years ago um, walked through the book of John and spent eight weeks in John 1 through, uh, John 1, 1 through 14. We could do that. But the reason this hymn, John, John the, 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 the apostle, 
John puts this hymn, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning, and, and, and then interrupts it with John the baptizer, and then he goes back to the hymn, and he interrupts it with John the baptizer, is to set the stage for what you and I are going to learn as we're in this book. So following up on Advent and Christmas, following up on what, what Doug talked about last week of the importance of reading Scripture and, the, and what it does to us, I just want to end with a few statements about the incarnate deity, the God-made flesh, the, the, the God of the universe who decided to serve us instead of only wait to be served by us. The infinite one became intimate. The unknowable one became known. The one who could not be gazed upon could now be seen. The covenant maker became the covenant keeper. The creator it's going to be hard for some of you. The creator became a creature. The one who spoke light into darkness became the light in the darkness. The maker of flesh clothed himself in it. The one we are all subjected to made himself a subject to his subjects. The all-powerful one became fragile. The one who has always been became. The one who promised us salvation became the fulfillment of that promise. The one who we make offerings to became the offering. And the one who asked for sacrifices became the sacrificial lamb. If you read the book of John and you don't notice those things, I'm not saying you're sinning. But I'm saying you might want to ask God to give you eyes to see. Because when we read this as people that don't know it or that don't know him, it's like reading somebody else's mail. You can't really get it. But Jesus, often when he speaks of, when he's speaking in parables, he will say something like this. Let th those who have eyes to see, see. And those who have ears to hear, hear. He says to others, though you see, you're blind. Though you hear, you're deaf. So we've given you this, this kind of framework, a way that as you read the Gospel of John, as you study it, and I know on the, on the Bible reading stuff, we're in Matthew right now, um, you'll get to John in a couple of months. Um, but as you hear it read throughout these sermon series, as you read ahead during this sermon series, keep, your, keep that framework up there that the glory of God is not the accolades he receives in the book of John. It's him working his way toward being the sacrificial lamb. It's the crucifixion of the God-made flesh that is his glory. And if that's true of him, and we are to identify as his, might it be true that God is glorified through our sacrifice, through our willingness in his name to suffer? There's no such thing as a flash dark. You ever taken a, an instrument in the middle of the light, you turned it on and there's this big cone of dark? Doesn't happen. Because light always overcomes darkness. The smallest little 
sliver of light in a, in, in a dark space is all you can see. Jesus is the light. And here's what he says about us. You are the light of the world. Jesus is the truth. And you and I are those who follow the truth. So we should be people of the truth. These, these concepts, these ideas, he gives us signs to know who he is. And I'm not talking about miracles necessarily, but are there signs in our lives that show people who he is? That's the framework as we read and look and see the gospel according to John. To understand it is to have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. So if you read it and you're nothing but confused, if you hear me talk about this and you're nothing but confused, ask God to fill you with his spirit and to give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, and a mind to understand what God is saying through the Lamb of God sent to forgive the sins of the world. Let's pray. Lord, God, we bless you. As your Jewish people always start their prayers. Almighty God, King of the universe. Lord, you are indeed that. The King of the universe who is willing to come and serve, not to be served. We bless you for that. We ask you simply this. Can we know you better? Will you reveal yourself to us more? And will you give us the courage to live our lives that reflect whose we are? We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.